This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Well, we started, I believe it was about last week, talking about called, about being called, and we'd like to continue along that line this morning. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says, remember. Can y'all remember something if I tell you? Mm-hmm. Good. Don't forget that, okay? Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Few of us were what? Powerful. Powerful? Or wise or wealthy. It said few were when God had called you. And it says in verse 27, instead God deliberately chose things that the world considers foolish. God chooses the foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all. And do you remember last week we threw out hundreds of pennies? Mm -hmm. Y'all probably took them. (laughs) Did, did, Did you see any of those? When they all got together and they counted the offerings and all? No. So y'all took them home with you. That's what we wanted you to do. God chose things that despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all. You know, there's a lot of people who are pretty much considered nobodies in other people's minds and eyes, you know. But they, they really are. And he says here in Acts chapter 4, Verse 13, it says, Now, when the men of the Sanhedrin, Jewish high court, saw the confidence and the boldness of Peter and John and grasped the fact that they were uneducated and untrained, ordinary men, they were astounded. And they began to recognize that they had been with Jesus. Jesus, I mean, there's something that we would call the Jesus factor. And hopefully you have experienced the Jesus factor in your own life. He transforms you. He changes you. He changes the situation that you are in. God chose things despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all. God chose things like that, that that fit us. Yeah. That suit our personalities. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Now, when the men of the Sanhedrin, I want to read this again, Jewish high council saw the confidence and boldness of Peter and John, and they grasped the fact that they were uneducated. These are just normal kind of people. God calls normal, ordinary people. That's what he does. And untrained, ordinary men, they were astounded and they began to recognize that they 
were with Jesus. And I'm going to say it again. This is, it's life changing. I'm talking about the Jesus factor. When you genuinely welcome Jesus into your life, it changes things. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, out of the Amplified Bible, it says, and he appointed, you know, he, he called, he, he ordained 12 to continue to be with him and that he might send them out to preach as apostles and special messengers. Do, do you really, and I'm asking individuals, do you really, really have a passion and a desire that you'd like to change the world? Yes. yes. Well, let's do it. I tell you, let, let's do it, you know. Oh, what are we waiting for? Mm-hmm. You know, in the 1960s, Time Magazine read, uh, ran a headline saying, God is dead. <laughs> Reporters lined up at Billy Graham's home and they asked, is God dead, Mr. Graham? And he said, are you kidding? I just talked to him this morning. That's right. I did too. You know? And he is well. He genuinely is, you know? God spoke, as you read through your Bible, God spoke through a, a burning bush. God spoke through a cloud, you know? God spoke through angels and he spoke through a, a pillow of fire. God spoke to a donkey. Imagine that, you know. But the most common way that God speaks to us in this day and time, his written word. God speaks to us through his written word. It's the the number one way that God talks to us today is through his word. He really genuinely does, you know. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says, all scripture, all of it. 100%. Y'all hear all racket going on right there? <laughs> They're having fun. That's the young folks. They're having an awesome time. I think I'm going to go back here with them. You take care of this one. <laughs> it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And it, it straightens us out. God's word straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. You know, if, if you're not hearing God's word, your phone is off the hook. It's just ringing and ringing, but you're not hearing it, you know. If you're not hearing God's phone, you know, it's because your battery is dead. Because God is forever trying to get a hold of us. Because he loves us and he cares for us. And he'll lead us and guide us in his way, you know. What? is in your hand most of the time. What is in your hand that God can use in this world we live right now? What's in your hand 
that God wants to use in and through you. Think, think about it, you know. If you ask Moses, well, his staff was in his hand. You know, he always was walking with that staff, you know. And uh, Moses was doing miracles with that staff most of the time. Well, what's in your hand? You ever have a football in your hand? One person. <laughs> We're going to play football, okay? I'll tell you, a man who loves Jesus and he's got a football in his hand is going to attract a crowd. Tim Tebow. He's a good example. Tim Tebow. Mm -hmm. He's a great football player, you know, and he loves Jesus with all of his heart. Mm -hmm. What about, how many of you are, are really good with a kitchen? How many of you like somebody who's good in the kitchen? We're going to be looking for that person before too long, you know. And that's just the truth of it. God gifts us. He really genuinely gifts us. Are, are you good with a first aid kit? If you got kids, you probably are learning how to be, you know. But the thing is, God, he gifts us in all kinds of areas so we can be a blessing and we can help other people. That's just the way it is. Um, there was a boy I was reading about in the Bible. And he had some fish and he had some bread. Mm -hmm. That's and what he, he was, had in his hands. He was pretty good with them. <laughs> How many people he feed? Well, he gave them to Jesus. Yeah, 5,000. And that was men plus the women and children. So at least 15,000 people. Can you imagine? A guy's pretty good with fish and bread if he can feed 15,000 people mm -hmm. with five loaves and two fish. So what, are we, what we have in our hand, we need to give it to God, and there's no limits to what he can do. You mean to tell me you believe that God can work miracles through these hands of ours? Mm -hmm. He can. He, he can. surely can, and if you believe that, he can work through yours. Mm -hmm. All things are possible to those who <clears throat> believe, you know? That's just the truth of it. Esther... She was a, a young orphan girl, and she had a, a, a very powerful position of influence. What did she do? She saved the nation of Israel from utter destruction. There was an evil man by the name of Haman who was out to destroy every Israelite. He wanted to annihilate them, and she spoke up to the king. It's interesting how his name was Haman, and it's very close to Hamas, isn't it? Interesting. It really is. <clears throat> what about Joseph? You know, he had this position of management. He had these management skills. And there's this guy who he met in his journey. He's named Potiphar. Mm -hmm. And he began to work for Potiphar, you know, pretty much as a slave. And he took care of everything that Potiphar had there for him, and, and God blessed him, didn't he? Mm -hmm. He became second in command to the Pharaoh himself. Yeah. And he was just a slave. And God just worked miraculously because what was in his hands? Mm -hmm. And he just used it. Yeah. What's in your hands? What can you do? You think about that. God will bless you, you know. Samson, what do you have in his hand? A jawbone. A jawbone of a donkey. Mm -hmm. Think about that, you know. And 
Uh, who, who did he end up fighting? The Philistines. The Philistines. He wiped out about a thousand of them in the area of Gaza. How about that? Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, what do you have in your hand? What, what skill, what, what talent do you have? You know? Harriet Beecher Stowe. Does anybody know what she had in her hand? A pen. A pen. A neat pen. It's what Harriet Beecher Stowe, she had in her hand. She was the daughter, had a whole bunch of brothers. Mm-hmm. But what she did with that pen, you know, really outdid her brothers, yeah. who were pastors. Mm-hmm. And her dad was a and pastor. Her, her dad. Grew up in Litchfield, actually. That's right. But she wrote the book Uncle Tom's Cabin, which was instrumental <laughs> in influencing President Lincoln to take the stand that he did, you know, in setting the slaves free. So she's awesome. She had a pen and God used that pen. George Washington Carver. He had something in his hands. Anybody know what that was? A peanut. Mm-hmm. I mean, how big of a deal is a peanut? <laughs> well, if you just had a cotton famine in the land. Yeah, they were wiped out. And George Washington Carver, he was a very wise man, and he figured out all the different kinds of things you could do with a a peanut. Mm -hmm. He really did, and it transformed, and it it brought prosperity back to their nation. And there was a guy, was you going to say something? Mm -hmm. And there was a guy by the name of Johnny Appleseed. What do you think he had in his hand? Appleseeds. You know what? I have wandered around... And these old woods here in Connecticut and in Southington, I have wandered around and up hills and down and all, and I have happened upon quite a few apple trees, just out in the middle of nowhere. And I, I wonder, like, I wonder if Johnny Apples planted that one. <laughs> Maybe you planted it. Well, if I found an apple on a tree when I was wandering around, I usually ate one, and I did leave the seeds in the ground, in the soil somewhere to be found and to be had. Now, Benjamin Franklin, you know what he had in his hand? A kite. A kite. Now, how big of a to-do is a kite? You wouldn't think it was any big of a to-do, but he discovered electricity with that kite and a key and the lightning. How about that? Yeah. With the kite in his hand, flying it up in the air when it was thundering and lightning and all that, and the lightning ran down that, hit a key in a little jar there. I mean, you never really think, I never thought about making electricity that way. It's not a good way to get electrocuted if you ain't careful, you know, possibly. But is electricity a big deal in your life now? Yes. It really, genuinely is. And there was a widow, you know, and she had a lot of empty jars and she offered those to God. Mm-hmm. She did. The prophet had come by and there was a famine in the land and she was hurting for finances to provide for her family. And he said, go get all the jars you can. And so they gathered the jars that they had and jars from their neighbors and they began to pour oil from a, a small jar into those empty jars and every one of them was filled and it provided what they needed to survive as a family and hmm. able to, to bless others. That was with Elisha. Elijah, there was also a widow who had a, 
uh, a little jug of oil and a small barrel of flour, and Elijah came to that widow in Zarephath after right. he had been being fed by ravens. So he, he was, you know, pretty well fed. Those ravens were probably getting that food from the king's table, as far as we know, and bringing yep. it to Elijah. But the, the brook where he was staying dried up, the ravens stopped coming, and God t- instructed him to go to this widow in Zarephath. And when he went there... Uh, he found out that she only had a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, and she was going to make a cake for her and her son, and then they were just basically going to die because they were starving through the famine. And Elisha did a very hard thing, but he obeyed God, and he said, make me a cake first. Can you imagine how tough that would be to go to someone who is poor and destitute and without and say, well, make me a cake first? That just had to be the toughest thing for him to do. But she obeyed God, and she did it. And She planted a seed. Yep, and the cruise of oil, it said the little jug of oil and the small barrel of flour never ran out. She just kept using it and using it and using it and using it the whole time of the famine. God worked a miracle in her life. And then there was another widow in the New Testament that she just dropped her a coin into the offering, and, and Jesus spoke to his disciples and said that she had done more than anybody because she had really given all that she had. You know, and that's been an example and an inspiration to all of us for all these years. You know, that, and we see even here three incidents where God greatly used three widows, you know, who really didn't have much of anything, but God provided for them and, and used them as an example to inspire us. So that's what they had in their hand. And they gave it all. God, God can use anything. He is. He just wants to have it all. Mm. When you give him all, all of your faith or all of that little bit of oil that's mm-hmm. there, yeah. God just blesses it and multiplies it. It's just amazing what he can do. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29, it says, So that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. You know, if you're going to boast, you need to be boasting about Jesus, what he can do. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24 says, But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone. That's pretty direct, is it not? Mm -hmm. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me. That's what God was saying. If you're going to boast... You boast in this that you know me. And understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, For God was in Christ reconciling, bringing some things together God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer, you know, counting people's sins against them. You know, this is the true deal. God is not mad at you. That's right. He does love you. And he cares about you. He wants to forgive us and care for us and include us in his fantastic out of this world plans that he has 
in store for us. You know? It continues on. It says, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Hmm. He has called us to go forth with this message. Of reconciliation. And we all need reconciliation. We need to be made right with God. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you, the time that we're lifting in, we really do need to be right with God. We've been hearing about this and hearing about that and hearing about thoughts about one day Christ is coming back. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe it is very, very soon. Some of the things that the Bible says is going to be some of the evidence of the coming of Christ. Some of those things is all these guys, these bad guys marching around the city. Where's that? Jerusalem and Gaza and all that area. He said that's going to be one of the signs. And all the things that are going on, and you can find people talking about them, preaching about them, talking about them, even when they don't know what they're talking about, it's got their attention big time. It really does. And you begin to think about that. Now, what is God doing right now? I heard a pastor the other day, and he was just talking, and he was kind of down and gloomy as he was talking about all these signs that the Bible says can we have in the last days. And then he said, he said, but this is a time to get excited. And she's like, well, what are you talking about? You're talking about all this bad news. But he says, before these other things happen, the church is going to be taken out of here. That means you ain't going to have to go through all that kinds of stuff. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? You think about it. And all that needs to take place is your name needs to be written in the book of life. That you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you've received him as your Savior. And what happens in these times if you've not received Christ as your Savior? You'll be left behind. Be left behind. But you know what? There's going to be people, as soon as Jesus takes a big crowd of people out, there's a lot of people who know about it. And they're going to repent and they're going to accept Christ in their life. And they're going to make it to heaven. They'll have to die. For it to happen. If you're taken out in the rapture, that's like awesome, that's wonderful, that's fantastic. But if you miss out on the rapture, the next best thing is you have to give your life and you still make it to heaven because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's just so many things that, that are in the Word that we've been reading and talking about. You know, since it was in Bible school way years ago, it's like, you know what? This is kind of cool. It's kind of Scary. It's kind of exciting. It's kind of faith building. You know, God is in control. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. He has called us to Mm. be his ambassadors. Special agents. Mm -hmm. Are you a special agent for God? Mm -hmm. Yes. What a wonderful opportunity. A mediator, you know, a negotiator. A representative. Are you here representing Jesus? Well, we still have a little bit of time. We ought to. God is making his appeal to the world. He's making his appeal through us. Because, let me see here. I don't know if I have one of them things or not. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, this is new. You know what? I got two gloves, and they're both the same hand. <laughs> this is better. This is God. In the days that we live right now, and can you imagine putting your hand in God? What can God's hand do when your hand is in the middle of it? It can do anything it wants to do. That's just the truth of it. Does God control our hand? You know? Well, when we give them to him and we worship him and we offer them to him and whatever you want to do with these hands of mine, almighty God, I want you to do that. And God begins to work in us and through us. He delights to do that. Don't you think he does? He does. He surely does. So God's making his appeal through us. I just wonder, do you have eyes to see God right now in this world? Yes. I tell you what, God is on the move right now. And if we'll spend a little time with him in his word and praying and seeking him, he'll kind of let us in on some things that's going on in this world. He really will if we want to. Well, as we continue... There's a, a woman I had read about many years ago, and she worked in this place where they just made lots and lots and lots of clothes. She, th- there were thousands of people there in that little clothes sewing, you know, business and all. And she was up there, and uh, you know, she was doing her sewing job and all like that. And then she sewed with a sewing machine. She sewed. A needle through her finger came out the other side, you know. And in this place, because there's so many people, they had a, a doctor. That was his full-time job to take care of all the workers. And she came in there, and her finger was bleeding, and she was crying and all of this. And the doctor accused her of being pretty careless by the looks of it, you know. Truth of it is... He was a real doctor and he was also a pastor, you know, and he was kind of criticizing her by being careless with her sewing machine. And then she was talking to him and she said with tears in her eyes, she said, doctor, I'm not careless, but I heard you telling a lady down the hall down here about how to accept Jesus into her life. And he would transform her and he would change her. And I need something like that in my own life. And I sewed my finger on purpose in hopes that you would tell me about the Jesus you told her about. And then the doctor, he just broke down. And he said, I'm so, so sorry. You're not careless at all. And he, he confessed his sin of just being distracted. There's a lot of people in this world who are hungry for Jesus. They need God in their life. And a lot of their problems are just because they don't have God in their life. And when they invite him into their life, he changes everything. Mm -hmm. 
We speak for Christ. And we ask, God, please come into my life. Come back into my life. Make yourself real in me. And you know what repentance is? Repentance is just turn around. And we just choose the other way. That's what it's talking about, you know? Turn around. And when we repent, we turn around. You know, God, he begins to really work in our life. Verse 21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins. Jesus was our whipping boy. He took the punishment for us in our place. So so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So God is calling us to share this wonderful message with everyone around us. Back in the 1730s, the early Protestant church sent out its first missionaries to distant places to reach people who had not yet heard about Jesus. And there are still people in this world, there are still people in our city who has not clearly heard about Christ as of yet. One of the first missionaries, Leonard Dober, learned of slaves on the island of St. Thomas in the West Indies. These slaves, he was told, were overworked, abused, and prevented from learning about salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Dober became overwhelmed with the desire to go to these people to serve them and to become a slave and to share the gospel with them even at the cost of becoming a slave himself. Can can you imagine that if you wanted to go somewhere and share the gospel with a particular group of people, that it would cost you to become a slave for the rest of your life to that community and they would let you come. And that's what these missionaries literally did. They said, that would be worth it. We'll become a slave for the rest of our lives in order to share the gospel with these slaves who are here already. And and I actually saw a video of this and read this book. First Fruits. First Fruits. Mm -hmm. This this actually happened. Mm -hmm. And it says, although the church hesitated to support him in his trip... After much prayer and consideration, they gave their blessing. So Dober, along with a friend, set out for St. Thomas. And Dober's mission work inspired many in his church to become missionaries themselves. He paved the way for future generations to share their faith throughout the world. Mm -hmm. Paul said in the book of Acts chapter 20, verse 24, it says, But my life is worth nothing. Unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. You know, that, that's, that's the greatest thing we can do is mm-hmm. to have our sins washed away and, and go and be with him one day when we pass and we live with God throughout all of eternity. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Watchman Nee once said... He said, I've never met a person who set out to satisfy the Lord and has not been satisfied himself. If you go to put 
God first in your life, you're going to be satisfied. Mm-hmm. You genuinely will. God will meet your needs abundantly beyond what you could ask or think. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 in the Amplified Bible, it says, The fruit of the uncompromisingly righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins, he who is wise, captures human lives. That's the soul. Mm -hmm. Let me read it again. And he who is wise captures human lives for God as a fisher of men. He gathers and receives them for eternity. This is Proverbs 1130. Mm -hmm. He talks about us catching men for almighty God and, and leading them to the place where they'll accept God into their own lives. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Verse 6 says, Work hard, but not just to please your masters, When they're watching as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Now, what does all mean? 100%. 100%. Do the will of God with all of your heart. Serve him. And I'll tell you, the days that we're living in, don't know 100% for sure, but I kind of got a little suspicion. It's sneaking up on us pretty quick. Or we're going to see our Savior face to face. You know, and you don't need to fear that at all. That's just the truth of it. Verse 7 says, work with enthusiasm. That's talking about fervor and, and passion. He says, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And then in verse 8, it goes on to say, remember that the Lord will reward each of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. He's going to reward us Mm -hmm. for whatever we're doing to honor him. Mm -hmm. He's he's going to reward us. And he's actually asking us to do our our jobs, wherever we're employed, basically to look beyond our boss, to see God, and to do our job in a way that honors God for whoever we're employed by. And to do it enthusiastically. To work hard and, and represent Christ well. And they'll recognize there's a difference about you. Mm-hmm. They really will. He was just a shoemaker after all and an average one at that. But in the evenings after work, he studied Greek, Hebrew, and a variety of modern languages. He devoured Captain Cook's voyages to expand his horizons which, because of his poverty, kept him bound to a small, forgotten English village. Some people said his time would have been better spent, instead of all this studying, getting a second job to support his growing family. But the young man's passion wasn't a curious, self-satisfying hobby. Early in life, he had become concerned about the millions of unbelievers outside of Europe. And he was trying to figure out what could be done to bring them the gospel. With God's help, he slowly figured it out. He ended up going to India to serve as the first Protestant missionary in the modern era. 
His passion inspired a whole generation of men and women, such as Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, and David Livingston, to take up the cause of missions. Because one impoverished shoemaker named William Carey followed his God-given passion and call, large parts of the world that had little or no access to the gospel now have large populations of people today who confess Christ as Lord. And it all began with him. That's amazing. A shoemaker. And it's amazing how God can start such a magnificent work Mm -hmm. in the lives of people just like this. Ordinary people. Ordinary people. That's what we are. Mm-hmm. Just ordinary people who God says, I want to work in you. Can, can, can I have your hand? Can I lead you? Can I guide you? In the book of Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, And then he told them. I wonder who he is. Jesus. And then he, Jesus, told them. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Mm. Your mission field is where you are. It's where you live. Your mission field is where you go after church is out today. Your mission field is the things that you do, the neighborhood that you live in, the the people that you love and you care about and you try to help them. That's your mission field. That's my mission field. That's our mission field. While we are yet here, there'll be a day when that mission field is no longer open. But we need to take advantage of what God is doing in our lives right now. Mm -hmm. There was a woman named Sophie who had been praying for 12 years to become a foreign missionary. Wouldn't that be cool to be a foreign missionary? One day she had so prayed, asking to be a foreign missionary, and the Heavenly Father, God, seemed to say to her, Sophie, stop. Where were you born? And she answered God and said, In Germany, Father. Where are you now? In America, Father. Then the father, and he said, well, you are not, are you not a foreign missionary already? You were born in Germany, now you're in America. And then the father said, who lives on the floor above you? A family of Swedes, she answered. And who above them? Why, some Switzers. And who in the rear? Italians. And a block away? Some Chinese. And you have never said a word to these about my son? Do you think I will send you thousands of miles to the foreigners and the heathen when you never care enough about them at your own door to speak to them about their souls? Pretty heavy. If we only knew each one of us right here can speak well enough and we can tell them we we know the Christmas story and the message we, we understand about Easter, about Jesus dying and rising from the dead. We've got the good news. We've got the message. And we've got our own testimony. People can't argue with that. 
They can't they argue really about the powerful cannot. things that God has done in our lives, bringing us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And God has called us to such things. Just imagine, let's just say in a very few weeks from right now, that we're all in heaven with those who've gone on before us. We're so excited and all, but what about those who didn't make it? They'd never heard about Jesus. They didn't understand the good news. They never received Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they're left behind. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a truth. That is a reality. Verse 17, it says, These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. Do you, do you believe? I do believe. Though but if, these but if any believers... Any believers. Is, is anybody, anybody else in here who is a genuine, bona fide believer in Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. Yes. Pastor Ron, I was just thinking God put on my heart that you mentioned electricity earlier and how important it is. But unfortunately, I don't realize how important it is until it goes out. Mm-hmm. And I can take for granted that I am saved until mm-hmm. trouble comes and then. I don't want to be in a position to be so far from God that I can't turn away. That's right. I tell you what, we all be given opportunities Mm -hmm. in our future, and hopefully we will rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. And, and, And fall in love with Jesus and represent him very well. He says here in verse 17, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink any poisonous thing, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they'll be healed. This is just believers. (laughs) This is a common man and woman who just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) This is in your Bible. It's in your Bible. Mark chapter 16. Mm-hmm. Just read the whole chapter. Just, just read that one particular chapter. It's absolutely amazing and miraculous. Verse 19 says, When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere, and they preached, and the Lord worked through them. He worked through them. He put them on as a glove on his hand. As he wants to do, he wants to work through you. He wants to work through me. And the disciples went everywhere. And they preached. And the Lord worked through them. Confirming what they said with many miraculous signs. It's amazing. It really is. We read an article and it says, do you remember the sinking of the vessel called the Central America? I had, had not heard of it until I read this. I, th- I remember it. Yeah, good. I, I didn't recall it, but anyway. But, but I do. <laughs> you, you'll learn it for the day's over. <laughs> the ship was in a bad state. This is a, a powerful message to all of us. It says the ship was in a bad state and had sprung a leak and was going down. She therefore hoisted a signal of distress, the ship. And a ship came close to her, and its captain asked, 
through the trumpet, what is wrong? We are in bad repair, said the, the sinking ship's captain, and are going down. But wait until morning. Wait till morning, was the answer. But the captain on board the rescue ship said, let me take your passengers on board now. Wait until morning, was the message that came back. Once again, the captain cried, you had better let me take your passengers on board right now. Wait until morning, was the reply that sounded through the trumpet. About an hour and a half later, the lights were gone. And though no sound was heard, the Central America and all on board had gone down to the fathomless abyss. Unconverted friends, for God's sake, do not say, wait until morning. Today, hear God's voice and answer his call. Don't wait until morning. And even us as believers, don't wait another day to tell someone about Christ. Don't wait. We don't, we don't know when our loved ones may pass or our neighbors or our co-workers or when Christ, you know, when the rapture takes place and we're no longer here to tell them. Oh, will it hurt us to accept Christ in our lives early? No, no. But the sooner the it... better. That's what we pray for our children and our grandchildren. We always pray, Lord, help them to come to know Christ at the earliest possible age. All right. And that's the same for every other person on the face of this earth. Well, would it hurt people if we wait too late to tell them about Jesus? It very well could. They could spend eternity without Christ in hell. And that's the reality. That's, that's the people who are closest to you. This is kind of a tough the message. Dearest. You know, I mean, we, we studied this out. We we're thinking, you know, we should, we should do another message on call. And, and as we were, went through the week, we're like, no, oh, let's do something else. And it kept coming back to us that, no, this was what we need to hear. We don't need to back off. You know, we need to know the responsibility that God has placed on us because we have received the good news. If you receive good news, it's your responsibility to share it with others because they are desperate to hear about Christ and to come to know him in a personal way. So don't wait till morning. Don't wait till next week or next year. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, For God says, at just the right time, at just what? The right time. At just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time, what does that say? Is now. The right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Mm-hmm. Does your Bible say something like that? Yes. Second Corinthians chapter 2. 6 oh. verse 2. Chapter 6 verse 2. Wow. That's, that's pretty powerful. I didn't write that. That was God's word. That's right. Uh, well, wait just a second. Can I read that again? Mm-hmm. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Today. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 2 says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now how does a thief come in the night? 
He comes very quietly. He comes very quickly, unannounced, often with a surprise. And it says here, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. He won't be a thief, but he'll come quickly and quietly and unannounced. And there'll be a surprise to so many people. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? So, well, no one's ever told me about Jesus. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Tells them. Does that mean that a pastor has to tell everybody? No. They, they can't do it all. They, they, they do as much as they can, but not all of it. I wonder if you will come and join God's hand and say, Lord, just help me and teach me and show me what you want me to do. How can I point people toward you? How can I encourage people to trust you so they won't be left behind? Would you have accepted Christ earlier in your life if someone had stopped and Taking the time and told you in a very practical way about Jesus? Yes. I surely would have. Yeah, me too. But nobody ever told me mm -mm. until I was graduating high school. And I was just beginning high school. I, I've been to church every week, but they didn't make the plan of salvation plan. I went to church every weekend all my life. Mm -hmm. I went to church. But I was never communicated about Jesus. And he was the savior of the world and he paid for my sins. I had never been communicated with that. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was very religious. It was cool. Hey, I was a member of a church. But they wouldn't tell me the good news, mm -hmm. the gospel. They, they really were. We need to be the ones to tell them. We need to say, yes, Lord, I will answer that call. I will tell them. You know, we were... Uh, I will answer that call. I'll tell them. <laughs> we were uh, thinking about an illustration that we could use to kind of paint the full picture, you know. Um, and if you can imagine that someone coming to know Christ and that journey is like a, a nail that's being driven into a board. And the, oftentimes that nail might be placed or the first hearing about Christ could come through a mom or a dad or a relative or somebody like that. And, and they would be the one who would, you know, hit that, hand, that nail on the head the, for the first time. But maybe that, that person doesn't come to know Christ as their Savior at that point, but they a, a seed is planted. They hear the good news about Christ. So go ahead. Hit it. Just one. Okay? That's good enough. Okay? And so then, 
someone else comes along and shares with them about Christ. It could be, let's say, Super Church, for example. We're, we're talking about a child here. And then they go to school, and one of their friends tell them about Christ. Every time they hear about Christ, it's like that nail is being driven further and further into the wood. And everybody has a part, you know, believers surrounding that person has a part. It could just be one person, you know, that keeps hammering that nail in. But sometimes what happens is, is let's say then that person comes to know Christ, one person shares with them and it finally clicks and they come to know Christ as their savior. And then the person who leads them in the prayer of salvation thinks, wow, what a great thing I've done. You know, this is amazing. I've led this person to Christ. Yet it's been, it could have been several people that had been planting seeds and planting, there you go, planting seeds all along to uh, lead that person to Christ. And so it's, it's a joint effort. So we can, we can plant seeds every time we share with someone about the good news about Christ. It's like striking that nail on the head, making the point come home of what the plan of salvation is all about. And whether they accept Christ at that time or it may be a little bit further down the road, but everyone who shares is just as important as the person who actually leads them in the prayer of salvation. But be a seed planner, you know, be a person. All of us. All all of us. us. We can share our testimony. We can share God's word. We can share the good news about Christ with everybody, everywhere. And and the scripture says that, you know, some uh, plant the seeds, you know, some water, uh, but God is the one who gives, gives the increase. And he is the one that has that day of salvation for, for each soul. And, and his scripture is perfectly clear that it is God's will that everyone be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That, That's God's that will. That is his will. It really is. And he loves us. He cares about us. And he forgives us of anything in our past. And he'll allow us to welcome him into our lives. Mm -hmm. He genuinely will. Mm -hmm. And that's what we should probably do here shortly is just to pray, you know, and that, that we all pray and reaffirm our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we know that we know that we know that we've invited him into our life. He is our Savior. He's taken our sins. He died in our place. Mm-hmm. You know? That, that's, that's what the scripture says. So That's true. Well, why, don't, why don't we do that right now? Okay. But if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, and here, you're here today or you're watching online, and you have never surrendered, and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, don't wait till morning. Don't wait another day. Today is the day of salvation. It really is. It's now. What if you woke up in the morning and the news talked about millions of people had disappeared during the night and you were still here? Now maybe we got another day. Remember that song we used to sing? It went, life was filled with guns and wars and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. The children die, the days grow cold. A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. 
I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The Son of God has come, and you've been left behind. I don't remember the next piece of it. I don't either. It's been a long time since we sang that one. We were well, teenagers. We can probably just make it up the next time. <laughs> but the thing of it is... We don't is, want to be left behind. We don't want any of our loved ones to be left behind. We're here in New England because we didn't want nobody to be left behind. And we can be so busy in life that we don't really pay any attention to those kinds of things and think they're really not important. But it is important. Mm -hmm. It really is important. Now, I don't know for sure if Jesus is coming back this week. It wouldn't surprise me if he did. But we need to all be ready. And we need we to get do. as many people ready as we can. We really, we really do. So let's pray. Would you pray with us? Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you. Thank you. That you sent your son Jesus. That you sent your son Jesus. To die on the cross. To die on the cross. For my sins. For my sins. He took my place. He took my place. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Thank you. Thank you. That Jesus not only died. That Jesus not only died. But he rose again from the dead. But he rose again from the dead. To give me victory. To give me victory. Over sin. Over sin. And over death. And over death. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 